Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast with Steve Schellenberger. You're listening to the show that is guaranteed to help you transform your life and achieve results that otherwise would have seemed difficult or even impossible. In each episode, you'll learn from someone who has achieved extraordinary goals. Steve is the number one national best-selling author. He's successfully started 11 businesses in three separate industries. He is a highly sought-after keynote speaker and corporate trainer for organizations around the world, an executive coach, the father of six, and the founder of Becoming Your Best Global Leadership. Here is Mr. Steve Schallenberger. Welcome to all of our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners, wherever you might be in the world today. This is your host, Steve Schallenberger, and we have a very talented guest today. Uh, he is a world-class professional and an expert for all things having to do with data, and we're going to get to that discussion in just a moment, and welcome Dr. John H. Johnson. We're so happy to have you with us today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, I can't wait for our interview, and and. Uh, before we get started today, uh, I'd like to tell you a little bit about uh, Dr. Johnson. Uh, John H. Johnson is president and CEO of Edgeworth Economics. It's a professional economist. Uh, he's a professional economist, expert witness, and internationally renowned speaker and author of Every Data. The misinformation hidden in little data that consumes every day, uh, that we consume every day. And Dr. Johnson has helped some of the world's largest companies understand how to interpret data and is known internationally for his ability to explain highly sophisticated concepts in a simple, straightforward manner, helping his audiences become more confident and discerning consumers of data and to make better decisions in their professional and personal lives. Uh, John received a Ph.D. in economics from uh, Ma the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and received his Bachelor of Arts in economics with highest distinction from the University of Rochester. He lives with his wife and two children in McLean, Virginia, and we are absolutely de delighted to have you with us. So great to be here. Thank you so much. You bet. All right. Well, John, let's just dive right into this. Tell us about your background so that people can get to know you a bit better. Uh, you have such an interesting background. And uh, all of the uh, guests that I've had on the Becoming Your Best podcast leadership series, uh, we really haven't had someone with your background. So, I hope we'll get to that, and I'd love to hear about how you got into this uh, area. So as you reflect, reflect on your life, what were some of the key turning points that ended up having a big impact in your future? Well, I think, um, you know, for me as someone, uh, my love of sort of math and data kind of came at a fairly early age. You know, basically, if you are a data scientist type, you like to solve problems. For me, I was always a very practical, pragmatic type of person. And so when I was in college, I think sort of one of the pivotal moments was sort of starting to take economics classes. That's kind of what got me on this path. Um, and then I decided, you know, actually I thought I was going to become a professor. And so I, I went to get a Ph.D. in economics at MIT. And um, that was very pivotal in my thinking and my training. But also learning sort of a lot about 
uh, how to do statistics and data, how to sort of really analyze data in a very systematic way, how to bring that sort of disciplined thinking to my work. Um, I was a professor for a few years, but I just really wanted to work on real world problems. And I just didn't feel I was getting the kind of information or data that I wanted to work on. And that's when I went into consulting. So, you know, I had these sort of pivotal moments where decision to get a PhD, decision to leave academia, and then really probably the, the most pivotal was the decision to start my own business about seven years ago. And um, what I wanted to do, again, is sort of take these data skills. I had worked at sort of a, a large consulting firm, but I really wanted to develop a, an entire brand around how you explain data simply, carefully, thoughtfully, how do you do rigorous analysis, and how you could really build a company where you provide that kind of service and information and also attract the best and the brightest talent along the way. So I've been very fortunate to have a lot of great experiences, but it really all comes back to that level of intellectual curiosity about how do you be rigorous with data. Well, that's fantastic. Good thing you were born when you were in the history of the world, right? Exactly. <laughs> they need your talent. They need your skills right now, John. <laughs> okay, now before we really talk about data, uh, what's been one of the biggest challenges that you've had in life, whether it was in your personal or professional life, and then how did you handle that challenge? Um, I think, um, look, I've been very fortunate to sort of, you know, have a lot of uh, blessings in my life. But I do think, you know, over the last few years, um, uh, my mom died of breast cancer um, and was sick for about two years and sort of dealing with that challenge of losing a parent, of seeing somebody you care about sick, not really being able to help other than sort of trying to figure out, you know, what you could do. Um, I think that sort of types of challenges sort of try to put things in perspective, um, was proud of the fact that I had built an organization and a company where it was okay for me to go spend time with my mom and deal with that and have the support of my colleagues to sort of lift me up as, you know, dealing with those issues. And, you know, I think um, I was sort of joking. I mean, I dedicated the book to my mom because she was the one that would read the newspaper and point out all these things to me when I was growing up mm -hmm. and uh, all the different things about where news stories were wrong. And so, but I think that's sort of an example where, you know, you you try to do well by other people. I take a lot of pride in the fact that I have built a, a company and a business that has a certain not only work ethic, but a certain moral compass to it. And um, sometimes what's also nice about that is when you need that kind of favor return, people are there to support you. Well, that's uh, – I, I thank you for sharing that about your mom. Those are always tough times, but they – really do put in perspective the things that matter most in our lives, don't they? They absolutely do, yes. And as you as you kind of moved along from being a young man into your career, did you have people that had a big impact that kind of pointed you in the right direction or might have had a big impact at a crossroads that you were at? You know, it's interesting. I mean, of course, there's a lot of people that are pivotal, you know, a lot of my college professors, my thesis advisors along the way. Mm -hmm. But it's actually interesting. I think some of the people that have been the most influential, and this is part of it, are, you know, actually the people that ultimately became my business partners to sort of start my firm. But mm -hmm. two of them, one of them was my best undergraduate student at the University of Illinois. And the other was my very first research assistant. And over the years and now decades that we kind of, our careers grew together when it was when I was really contemplating going ahead and starting my own business, those two people were very influential, not only in sort of convincing me to do it, but in saying, 
we're so confident that you can do this that we'll disrupt our lives and come in with you. <laughs> and so um, it's interesting. You always think about mentors and people teaching you or people that um, – you know, with the older, wiser mentors, but sometimes it's the people that are right by your side all along. And those are two examples of people that I started in a position where I was their boss, and they've taught me an awful lot over the years. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad that you shared that because that's a tremendous dimension that, that uh, helps or dynamic that really helps in creating success is, is uh, being open to influence from all different levels, and especially when you're bringing together a team to do something exciting. Uh, it's it's that team that can make that happen. It's it's this complementary set of chemistry that happens. It's a little hard to describe, and you just know it. And so you get going, and all of a sudden, some really magical things happen. That's absolutely right, and it's truly the way I feel about it. You know, it just um, if you don't have the right team assembled, if you don't have the right culture from day one, it just doesn't work out. Okay. Well, thank you for talking about that. Now, John, uh, you have a huge amount of experience, as we've just talked about, and a great background in the world of data. So if you don't mind, explain your role as president and CEO of Edgeworth Economics. Well, in my job, there's a few different dimensions to it. So there, there's the role as the head of the company, which involves you know, sort of the strategic thinking behind our, our business model, sort of setting the culture, setting the tone, um, those kinds of things. But then there's also our day-to-day -day work. And our day-to-day -day work oftentimes is in settings of litigation where uh, people are involved in a dispute that usually involves or needs or requires understanding data sets. And so I always give the example that one of the cases I worked on involved the pricing of chocolate candy bars. And I had data on basically every candy bar that was sold in the U.S. for a 10-year period. And I studied all that data to try to figure out what were the factors that were driving the pricing, what could be learned from the data sets. I studied the industries and things like that. So you can sort of think of me as sort of a type of data detective where I have a toolbox as an economist and a statistician. And then I kind of get brought in to learn these different industries and say, okay, as an outsider coming in to look at a set of information and facts and learning about an industry, what does the data reflect and what can we really determine from it? Wow, that is exciting stuff. Really, and isn't it fun? I mean, that, uh, that you can use that and think about it. I, I just love that because once you understand that, it helps you see things in such a tremendously different perspective, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I think what is so powerful about the science is that it doesn't only teach us what we know, it also teaches us what we don't understand. It also leads to more questions. So it's a very iterative process, right? So for every question I answer, I can come up with three more that are also important. And, you know, so kind of the ability, though, to put structure around problem solving and to use data to provide valuable information is really the strength of what I do. Um, it's the fun of what I do, and it's also the challenge. Okay, well, that's good. Now, what does it mean to run a data-driven company? Well, I think at our company, it's sort of twofold. We have about 100 employees here. Um, everybody who's here is basically trained in economics, data, programming, statistics. So part one is just the people that are here are, are data people. We think about data. We like data. We interpret data. Um, then there's Obviously, you can't be around a group of data people and not and make decisions in your company without looking at data, and we often do that for different things, um, whether that's 
thinking about sort of hiring goals or that's thinking about profitability, things that a lot of companies do. But I do think we always try to say, can we look at this through the lens of what can the data help us learn? And then there's just the idea that so much of what we are doing as a culture, and this sort of just permeates everything, is teaching people to speak intelligently and clearly about data. You can have the most sophisticated statistical analyses in the world, but if you can't explain them simply and in a straightforward manner, um, it's really not very useful. And, you know, we kind of always joke and say, you know, explain this like you're explaining it to your grandmother. You know, your grandmother's smart, but maybe she doesn't know a lot about math and statistics. So find a way to explain it that you can get the intuition and understand what you're doing. Uh, that's a real skill. And that is really one of the core things we work on here with every employee is how do you explain things simply, concisely, and accurately. Boy, that's a that's a talent. How do you develop that, John? A lot of work, a lot of practice, <laughs> um, a lot of mistakes. Uh, you work, uh, you know, I find when I mentor... How do you make it simple? You, <laughs> well... Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is you really have to understand it well yourself to make it simple. Okay. Um, if you don't really know what's going on, the first way you usually find out is when you try to explain it and you fall on your face. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so that's one part of it. And then the other part is not being afraid to admit the limitations of the analysis you've done, right? People make things uh, – people who have to show off, <laughs> who have to sort of show they're smart – usually aren't doing a very good job of explaining things. I always say to people, I want to have, leave every conversation with the person who I'm talking to feel smart because then I've really done my job, and that's a lot harder. And that's really the way good work, I think good statistical work. If I can leave talking to you about a statistical analysis, you're like, I really get it. I really understand what you did. Then I've done my job well. well that's a great answer. I love that vision and perspective as well. There's great value in that. And you know, in our in the book that the research that I did, which is is uh, the what really sets apart outstanding leaders from all the rest. There are certain things that they did, and so in uh, becoming your best, the twelve principles of highly successful leaders. One uh, among other things, among these twelve very powerful principles, one of them is that highly successful leaders apply the power of knowledge. And so it's understanding this knowledge in the first place that's valuable, but then how do you really apply it? How do you work with your clients to do that, your customers? Well, that's a great question. You know, I mean, I will say one advantage I have is because I'm often involved in cases where there are sort of high stakes, you know, litigation matters where Mm -hmm. companies have real issues. That does tend to focus people pretty quickly on what you have to say. People really care about the answers I come to because (laughs) there's usually a lot at issue, right? So I guess I have that built-in advantage. But nonetheless, that doesn't mean that you still don't have to explain things to your clients. You still don't have to sort of figure out – um, you know, different learning styles. You know, even what I try to explain, you know, one of the things that's really hard for a client to understand is you might have a lot of data at your company, but it's usually not even close to in a format or a shape or a size that I can analyze it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of work that gets done taking data sets that were meant for business purposes and combining them and using them to get them ready for statistical analyses. 
Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes we have to combine data sets from accounting databases, from customer databases, from product databases, from pricing databases. And those are all different systems. And, and so it's not like, you know, data comes ready to go. <laughs> data doesn't come ready to go. You actually have to use, I mean, the great part about having so much data is there's lots of answers to be had. The hard part is you got to really work to get them. So oftentimes I kind of view it as sort of a process where I'm kind of taking my clients by the hand and walking them through the process so they can understand what we're trying to accomplish, why it's useful, why getting the answers to the questions that are relevant are going to be helpful, and then what it takes to get there. Okay. So one of the very favorite uh, courses that we have is we have a two-and-a-half-day course called a Entrepreneur Success Boot Camp. And really the whole focus is, okay, how do you take an idea and move it through to a successful uh, execution to get the right type of results? And what typically happens, John, is uh, human nature or instinct is to have an idea and they try to drive it right to execution. And that is really a sure formula for failure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're going to die quick. There's so many things that happen in between. So the magic is what happens in between the idea and the execution, and that's a lot of what you're talking about here. I think that's right. I mean, I do think one of the things, being an entrepreneur myself, I mean, I, my company, you know, I said we have about 100 people now, but we started in 2009 with six of us. So we've had somewhat explosive growth, and we definitely went from being a, a sort of maverick startup firm to being a well-established consulting firm. And I think that has made me a better data analyst, having gone through that process of building a business, of understanding all that goes into building a business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of it, I mean, when you talk about that, what resonates for me is the notion that we had to build an entire infrastructure that kind of supported the way we were going to do business. And, you know, we're a data-oriented business, so just the technology piece, that was sort of a big deal at first. But even having our administrative functions aligned with our consulting business, being a service industry or being in a service industry at the same time that we're objective experts. And so serving your customer doesn't mean giving them the answer they want, but it actually means giving them the right answer and giving them the good or the bad news the data tells them. And so there was a lot of processes, probably is a little too formal a word, but there was a lot of foundation built over time, and some of it in real time, quite frankly, that allows us to have the success and do the things we do now. Um, For me, it was setting up the the business model, the culture, the values, and how that interacted with the way we would do our work, that was the foundation for this business. Oh, that's, uh, that, that's really terrific. And that's exactly what we've seen. What John just described is where it starts. And then he set the structure up, and you learn as you go, and you make some pivots uh, along what works, what works best, and what your customers need. Uh, so as we're talking about entrepreneurs, what would your recommendation be for how can they get really reliable data that helps them make good decisions? What would your advice be, not only for startups, it could be for companies that have been around a few years, but it's important for every single one of us? So I think, you know, there's a few things about data. I mean, we come back to, you know, data is only as good or the answers you can get from data are only as good as the quality of the data what the data is used for and the like. So the way I try to explain to people is, you know, if you think about what the questions are you want to answer and really spend time framing out, here's an issue that I want to address. I think it's a lot easier to identify the type of data you would need 
I mean, for me, again, I understand I'm a data guy, but when I have these types of questions, I frame out, okay, in an ideal world, this is the kind of data I would have, but the real world isn't ideal. So does the data I can get, does that help me enough to actually get to the answers I need that are useful or not? I think a lot of the data that entrepreneurs need, or at least early on, it sort of depends on what type of work they're doing. You know, obviously there's industry sources for, you know, in different service industries, different types of consulting. There's lots of those types of data sources, but also just sort of the data from your own company. What do you need to make decisions based on what you're collecting? Is it your accounting information? Is it your employee information? Things like that. So it's a hard question because really so much of what data you need and where to look is dictated by what question you ask. But if you bring the discipline of starting with, okay, I want to answer these questions and I want to think to myself, what kind of data would help or be informative? That usually is a good starting point to lead you where you need to be. Okay. I, I, I love that. That is great advice. Can you give an example that our listeners might be able to lock in on a little better, a real life example? Uh, sure. Well, of that question. <laughs> there's so many, but sort of let me think about kind of, you know, um, Sorry. <laughs> you know, no, I mean, because look, it, it really varies from everything. I mean, let's say you want to, let's say you care a lot. One of the things I study a lot is sort of labor markets. Let's say you care about sort of salaries and information about how people are hiring in your given industry. Well, that okay. can be actually yeah. really hard to come by. Um, oftentimes you see average numbers that are floating around, but mm -hmm. if your company isn't average <laughs> or the employees you want to recruit aren't average, you could be very misled. You might find some number and say, I need to, you know, pay all my employees $25,000 more because the average salary is this. And then you find out that the data you've gotten from the government actually doesn't categorize the people in your industry the right way, okay. or you live in a different geographic region. So I think what, I, what I'm trying to say is that when you think about numbers in the business context, especially for entrepreneurs, make sure the numbers you're trying to apply actually have relevance for you, you okay. know, <laughs> um, because oftentimes they might not line up exactly what you need to, and you might be led to the wrong decision as a result. Okay. And so, so what are the most common mistakes that you see people make with data? So there's a few. Um, well, I wrote a whole book about them. <laughs> but I think uh, I want to hear know, about the first that one book. <laughs> I, the first one I always talk about is sort of over reliance on anecdotes. We like to take our own personal experiences and over rely on them. Okay, now I'm a business person, I have my own instincts. I understand at times I'm going to have to follow my instincts because that's what business people do. But I'd much rather make sure I'm not acting on anecdotal information. And sort of saying, okay, I'm going to run out and do something because, you know, my experience tells me that this is the way the business always works. I might want to actually have some data to back that up. You know, we talk about the fallacy of the large rallies in political discourse, right? There's all these large rallies. and What does that mean? Or there's all these polls, and polls tell us all these things about which political candidate is going to win or lose. And then we see this year – all the rules were kind of broken. Right? Right. <laughs> um, I think it is really important that when you're looking at data to understand the value of data is only as good, at least for forecasting, if the past applies to today. Uh -huh. So if you're in an industry that's rapidly changing, forecasting may not be very valuable. Now, that doesn't mean you can't gather descriptive information, but I think people often conflate what they're using data for, right? The real Oftentimes, the real value is in giving you the snapshot of what the situation is today, not in your ability to take it and predict everything with perfection about the future. If everybody could perfect uh, perfectly the future, I'd probably go invest in the stock market if that's what I could do. <laughs> right? So I, I think you know, understanding both the strengths and the limitations of data is probably the biggest mistake I see.
Okay, well, that is a tremendous answer, and I'd like to talk about every data here in a minute. Uh, that's John's book, and uh, understand that a little bit better. But what's the most important lesson one needs to think about when interpreting data? So you've been talking about that. What should we keep in mind? I think there's a lot of lessons, but I think I'm going to come back to something that you know I've actually said a little bit or alluded to here. Um, Understanding and knowing what a data set or what an analysis can tell you and also understanding what it can't tell you is critical, right? And that requires a degree of skepticism is too strong a word, but a degree of intellectual curiosity that says, you know, I'm looking at this set of profitability numbers for my firm and profits are going up and that looks great. But what is it that I don't know about this? Well, I don't know what is exactly driving it. And what happens if I found that one particular source of my business was driving my profitability and other parts were really flat or even declining, right? I might be completely misled by looking at the aggregate numbers and miss that an important part of my business were underperforming, right? We oftentimes use statistics in a way that we try to summarize and we try to make sense of things, and we lose sort of the underlying detail when we do that. So don't ever forget whether it's a simple average, whether it's a, an aggregate number, we have to be careful and thoughtful about it. I think that's one of the things I always try to tell people. And if you have a second, I'll tell you sort of one of my favorite anecdotes that will help you remember this. Let's say I had an apartment building with 10 apartments. In nine of the apartments, I have monks, and all the monks took a vow of poverty. They make no money a year, zero income. Okay. The 10th apartment, I have Bill Gates. Ah. He makes $11.1 .1 billion a year. The average income in my apartment is $1.1 billion. <laughs> but that doesn't really tell me anything about the monks or anything about Bill Gates. I think that's the best <laughs> that's example great. I can give you. Well, that's a good example right there, huh? Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, you can go <laughs> a lot deeper. Okay, uh, now just tell us uh, about your book, Every Data. How can it be helpful to people? Well, well, my book is basically says and talks about the fact that we are bombarded with data every day, but most people don't have a lot of training in how to think about it. And so through a series of examples, news stories, um, anecdotes and the like, we explain some of the key data concepts that people encounter in their everyday life and how they can just make better decisions by being more aware of what questions to ask and what things to think about. Well, good. Well, I'm excited to get it and read it. I can't wait. I'm going to order it today. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. <laughs> okay. I hope, it, I mean, one of the things I'm very proud of is that, you know, we really, I mean, it's a co-authored book with my high school friend, Mike Gluck. And uh, I'm really proud of the fact that the book is not a statistics textbook. What the book is is a series of stories and examples that really help you think about data in a different way. And that's what I think makes it hopefully effective and why generally the feedback I've gotten is pretty positive. So um, that's what it's about. And that's exactly what really uh, every single leader and manager needs. It needs to – if we're going to be among the best – and that's where we want to head, and, and we want to create a best-of-class organization. So precisely the type of things that we need to be thinking about. Uh, it's uh, not going to. We're not going to have less data in the future. We're going to keep had it, having it, and it's going to keep coming at us more quickly. I think that's true. <laughs> All right. So, how can listeners learn more about what you're doing, and uh, how can they reach you? So, yeah, I have a website, JohnHJohnsonPhD.com. And I also have a blog on the Huffington Post. 
uh, where I talk about data issues, all sorts of data issues, including um, a lot's been on polling recently, so that's been sort of an interesting issue, but also about just different examples from the media and the like. And I just uh, about two weeks ago gave a TEDx talk, which is going to be up hopefully the next uh, few weeks. So uh, that's another place to look for. That'll also be on my website real soon. And I kind of describe some of the misleading headlines and how data work in my TEDx talk. So that would be something that uh, hopefully people would enjoy. Okay. Well, we're going to look for that, uh, John. And and uh, also they can find your book on Amazon. Yes, it's on Amazon and it's at Barnes & Noble too. So okay. if you'd like to go to the bookstore, you can find it there as well. Well, good. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a very interesting discussion. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, being better at using data. Thank you so much. A pleasure to be here. Okay. Well, good. These ideas uh, that John has been talking about can be invaluable for anyone in the world today, especially in the world of, of leadership and management. And as we've said, that's not limited to a CEO or a division manager. It's, it's team leaders. It's parents. Uh, it's a coach. It's a teacher. And so these things will really apply across the board. And so, well, we wish you all the best as you're making a difference in the world, John. Thank you. Okay, and to all of our listeners, never forget, you too can make a difference every single day of your life. I'm Steve Schallenberger with Becoming Your Best, wishing you a great day. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Becoming Your Best podcast. We want to know what your big takeaways were, so head on over to becomingyourbest.com and you can find all the information about the podcast right there as well as the show notes page where we'd love to hear what you thought about each and every single episode. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a rating and review. A rating and review is by far the best way for you to show your appreciation for the show because it helps other people find out about the show and decide if this is the podcast for them. So now it's all in your hands. It's time for you to go out there to take action and truly start becoming your best.